The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep and open up about women's health. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. This week, we dive into the topic of celebrity health issues. We go deep with celebrity journalist Nahal Daglish. Nahal opens up about Angelina Jolie, Selma Blair, Michael J. Fox, Kim Kardashian, Caitlyn Jenner, how they have each been open with their individual health issues and have as a consequence helped others with their health dilemmas and struggles. A little bit about Nahal Daglish. She is the founder of Celebrity Kind, an online platform and podcast about the inspiring acts and humanitarian work of celebrities. She has interviewed some of the biggest names in the world, including Brad Pitt, Hugh Jackman, Kate Blanchett, and Russell Crowe, and is leading the way in honest, positive celebrity journalism without the gossip. Nahal is also an award-winning news presenter and spent many years delivering the breakfast news on radio stations across Australia. When she's not interviewing Hollywood stars, Nahal is chasing around her three sons and probably watching reruns of Oprah. I hope you enjoy our chat. Nahal Dalglish, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm usually the one, you know, asking the questions, so this is a bit different. (laughs) Tell the world, tell our listeners about Celebrity Kind. Okay, so Celebrity Kind is an online platform and podcast that I started that focuses on honest and inspiring celebrity news. So I don't do gossip, I don't tear women down for their appearance, you know, I don't body shame, I don't make up stories about Jennifer Aniston being pregnant for the hundredth time this year. What I do focus on is their craft and their achievements, their humanitarian work, uh, what causes they're supporting and their kindness. And I guess the reason that I've uh, chosen to go down this particular path of celebrity journalism is partly because the images and the stories that we're bombarded with in the tabloids, I think, sort of underestimate the intelligence of the average celebrity news consumer, but it also just tears us down. And what I mean by that is if we're sitting you know, at the hairdresser or at the doctor's office, since this is a medical show, um, and we pick up a magazine about how terrible Kim Kardashian's cellulite looks or how Renee Zellweger's aged so much and she desperately needs Botox. We're tearing down our cells because they are us, right? They're mm. human just like us. We're learning to not only hate ourselves but also to tear other people down. So I guess my aim with Celebrity Kind is to look at people's hearts rather than their appearances and I mean, there's some awesome celebrity news stories out there. Most of it, if not all of it, is not about their appearance. So I deliver celebrity news and interviews that cater to an audience who love the celebrity world but don't want to hear the gossip and the trash and the bullying and the shaming, uh, just the inspiring stuff. That's my little catch line on my, uh, on my website. So who have you interviewed so far? Because your, your podcast is only relatively new, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I've been a journalist for many, many years. And uh, during that time, I have interviewed Brad Pitt, who was great, um, Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, Kate Blanchett, Sandra Bullock, um, you know, lots of big names. The podcast, I'm starting, you know, from scratch. I'm, I'm an independent podcaster, so, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big media news company. I'm sort of doing it all myself. So, uh, But I've still had some amazing people on. I've had uh, Yumi Steins, uh, who spoke about online bullying and how she copes with that. Uh, I had Jan Fran on, who is a journalist, and she spoke about um, being a Middle Eastern woman working in the Australian media. I had uh, Socceroo captain or former Socceroo captain Craig Foster on talking about refugees. Um, And yeah, lots and lots of people. You'll have to check it out. I have, and I love it. And that's why I have you on today. (laughs) Um, (laughs) How long have you been interested in celebrities, though? Did you grow up with any celebrity (gasps) crushes, can I ask? Was Brad Pitt one of them? No. Do you know who I had a uh, picture of in my in my wardrobe? For some reason, we didn't, I don't know, at our house, we didn't really have posters of celebrities up. But in my cupboard, I had like a little, um, what I would do is, and my sisters thought this was really weird of me, but what I would do is I would write like my goals that I would want to achieve for the week or for, you know, the month or the year. And I would like put a little note on it. You know, I'd, I'd be like, I want to get an A plus in my maths test and I would stick it on my wardrobe door 
And underneath it, I had this like tiny um, cutout of Oprah because I just loved Oprah and I, I still <laughs> love Oprah. And funny story, actually. So when I got my very first red carpet gig, um, I was so nervous. I was interviewing Will Ferrell and I was so nervous because I'd never interviewed any celebrities before. <laughs> and because um, I've just been such a huge fan of Oprah for so many years, I actually found another cutout of Oprah from a magazine and I stuck it down my top. So oh. she doesn't know it, but she was with me. <laughs> Very symbolic. And then I, I, I've actually taken her photo with me to every single red carpet. Oh, really? How interesting. She's <laughs> yeah, like your little, yeah. uh, you know, often yeah. when patients have operations, they usually bring a religious figure or an icon with them to the to the operating theatre. So you take Oprah with you when you go to the red carpet. I love that, Nahal. <laughs> I do. Anytime I interview anyone, she's with me. Yeah. And there was one week when I when I lost my photo of Oprah, but um, last minute I found a DVD that I had of Oprah, so I stuck the DVD down my top. <laughs> <laughs> so I do. I don't go without Oprah. That's really special. Well, she does have a really interesting and, and I'd say great way of interviewing people, and uh, yeah. she's obviously an inspiration for you. And I, I find her extremely inspiring. But we're not talking about Oprah today, are we? We're talking about other people. Yes. And uh, who should we talk about first? Let's let's go in the order that we kind of discussed. I'd love okay. to talk about Angelina Jolie and the reason sure. why I, I wanted to talk about her was because I was really inspired by her story when she opened up to the world in the New York Times in 2013 initially and then again in 2015 where she talked about her experience uh, in undergoing surgery for, you know, breast cancer, ovarian cancer prevention. So Angelina Jolie, tell us more about Angelina. Yeah, right. Okay. So one of the things that celebrities do is they talk about their medical conditions, right? And it's usually to help raise awareness about it. And the one that people always talk about is Angelina Jolie, who in 2013 announced that she'd chosen to have a double mastectomy because she tested positive for a breast cancer mutation, the BRCA1 gene. And then in 2015, she actually had her ovaries removed as well because of it. And so she wrote this long op-ed in the New York Times explaining what that gene mutation is and why she had the surgery. And just for a bit of background, I guess, her mum, her grandmother and aunt all died from breast cancer. And after Angelina Jolie had the surgery, her chances of developing breast cancer dropped from 87% to under 5%. And it was a similar huge figure with the ovarian surgery. And I'll tell you what, that was like the biggest celebrity news story that day and for days afterwards because, oh, my goodness, Angelina Jolie, the biggest, you know, female star in Hollywood, has had her breasts removed. And not only that, she suddenly got everyone talking about this BRCA1 gene. And not only that, she's inspired thousands of women all over the world who have a family history of breast or ovarian cancer to check to see if they have this same mutation in their genes. And, you know, the papers called it the Angelina effect. In 2013, actress and director Angelina Jolie writes in the New York Times an article titled My Medical Choice. She writes, My mother fought cancer for almost a decade and died at 56. She held out long enough to meet the first of her grandchildren and to hold them in her arms. But my other children will never have the chance to know her and experience how loving and gracious she was. We often speak of mummy's mummy, and I find myself trying to explain the illness that took her away from us. They have asked if the same could happen to me. I have always told them not to worry, but the truth is I carry a faulty gene, BRCA1, which sharply increases my risk of developing breast cancer and ovarian cancer. My doctors estimated that I had an 87% risk of breast cancer and a 50% risk of ovarian cancer, although the risk is different in the case of each woman. Only a fraction of breast cancers result from an inherited gene mutation. Those with the defect in BRCA1 have a 65% risk of getting it, on average. Once I knew that this was my reality, I decided to be proactive and to minimise the risk as much as I could. I made a decision to have a preventative double mastectomy. I started with the breasts, as my risk of breast cancer is higher than my risk of ovarian cancer and the surgery is more complex. On April 27, 
I finished the three months of medical procedures that the mastectomies involved. During that time, I have been able to keep this private and to carry on with my work. But I'm writing about it now because I hope that other women can benefit from my experience. Cancer is still a word that strikes fear into people's hearts, producing a deep sense of powerlessness. But today it is possible to find out through a blood test whether you are highly susceptible to breast and ovarian cancer and then take action. My own process began on February the 2nd with a procedure known as a nipple delay, which rules out disease in the breast ducts behind the nipple and draws extra blood flow to the area. This causes some pain and a lot of bruising, but it increases the chances of saving the nipple. Two weeks later, I had the major surgery where the breast tissue is removed and temporary fillers are in place. The operation can take eight hours. You wake up with drain tubes and expanders in your breasts. It does like, feel like a scene out of a science fiction film. But days after surgery, you can be back to normal life. Nine weeks later, the final surgery is completed with the reconstruction of the breasts with an implant. There have been many advances in this procedure in the last few years and the results can be beautiful. I wanted to write this to tell other women that the decision to have a mastectomy was not easy, but it is the one that I am happy that I made. My chances of developing breast cancer have dropped from 87% to under 5%. I can tell my children that they don't need to fear that they will lose me to breast cancer. It is reassuring that they see nothing that makes them uncomfortable. They can see my small scars and that's it. Everything else is just mummy, the same as she always was. And as they know, I love them and will do anything to be with them as long as I can. On a personal note, I do not feel any less of a woman. I feel empowered that I made a strong choice that in no way diminishes my femininity. I'm fortunate enough to have a partner, Brad Pitt, who is so loving and supportive. So to anyone who has a wife or girlfriend going through this, know that you are a very important part of the transition. Brad was at the Pink Lotus Breast Centre where I was treated for every minute of the surgeries. We managed to find moments to laugh together. We knew this was the right thing to do for our family and that it would bring us closer. And it has. For any woman reading this, I hope it helps you know you have options. I want to encourage every woman, especially if you have a family history of breast or ovarian cancer, to seek out the information and medical experts who can help you through this aspect of your life and to make your own informed choices. I acknowledge that there are many wonderful holistic doctors working on alternatives to surgery. Breast cancer alone kills some 458,000 people per year, according to the World Health Organization, mainly in low and middle class income countries. It has got to be a priority to ensure that more women can access gene testing and life-saving preventative treatment, whatever their means and background, wherever they live. The cost of testing for BRCA1 and BRCA2 at more than $3,000 in the US remains an obstacle for many women. I choose not to keep my story private because there are many women who do not know that they might be living under the shadow of cancer. It is my hope that they too will be able to get gene tested and that if they have a high risk, they too will know that they have strong options. Life comes with challenges. The ones that should not scare us are the ones we can take on and take control of. Fast forward two years to 2015. Angelina Jolie writes another article for the New York Times where she talks about the removal of her ovaries and fallopian tubes. The article is titled Angelina Jolie Pitt, Diary of a Surgery. She writes, Two years ago, I wrote about my choice to have a preventative double mastectomy. A simple blood test that had revealed that I carried a mutation in the BRCA1 gene. It gave me an estimated 87% risk of breast cancer and a 50% risk of ovarian cancer. I lost my mother, grandmother and aunt to cancer. I wanted other women at risk to know about the options. 
I promised to follow up with any information that could be useful, including about my next preventative surgery, the removal of my ovaries and fallopian tubes. I had been planning this surgery for some time. It is a less complex surgery than the mastectomy, but its effects are more severe. It puts a woman into forced menopause. So I was readying myself physically and emotionally, discussing options with doctors, researching alternative medicine, and mapping my hormones for estrogen or progesterone replacement. But I felt I still had months to make the date. Then two weeks ago, I got a call from my doctor with blood test results. Your CA125 is normal, he said. (sighs) I breathed a sigh of relief. That test measures the amount of protein CA125 in the blood and is used to monitor ovarian cancer. I have it every year because of my family history. But that wasn't all. He went on. There are a number of inflammatory markers markers that are elevated and taken together they could be a sign of early cancer. I took a pause. CA125 has a 50 to 75% chance of missing ovarian cancer at early stages, he said. He wanted me to see the surgeon immediately to check my ovaries. I went through what I can imagine thousands of other women have felt. I told myself to stay calm, to be strong, and that I had no reason to think I wouldn't live to see my children grow up and to meet my grandchildren. I called my husband in France, who was on a plane within hours. The beautiful thing about such moments in life is that there is so much clarity. You know what you live for and what matters. It is polarizing and it is peaceful. The same day, I went to see the surgeon who had treated my mother. I last saw her the day my mother passed away and she teared up when she saw me. You look just like her. I broke down. But she smiled, we smiled at each other and agreed we were here to deal with any problem. So let's get on with it. Nothing in the examination or ultrasound was concerning. I was relieved that if it was cancer, it was most likely in the early stages. If it was somewhere else in my body, I would know in five days. I passed those five days in a haze, attending my children's soccer game and working to stay calm and focused. The day of the results came. The PET CT scan looked clear and the tumour test was negative. I was full of happiness, although the radioactive tracer meant I couldn't hug my children. There was still a chance of early stage cancer, but that was minor compared with a full-blown tumour. To my relief, I still had the option of removing my ovaries and fallopian tubes and I chose to do it. I did not do this solely because I carry the BRCA gene mutation. And I want other women to hear this. A positive BRCA test does not mean a leap to surgery. I have spoken to many doctors, surgeons and naturopaths. There are other options. Some women take birth control pills or rely on alternative medicines combined with frequent checks. There is more than one way to deal with any health issue. The most important thing is to learn about the options and choose what is right for you personally. In my case, the Eastern and Western doctors I met agreed that surgery to remove my tubes and ovaries was the best option because on top of the BRCA gene, three women in my family have died from cancer. My doctors indicated I should have preventative surgery about a decade before the earliest onset of my cancer in my female relatives. My mother's ovarian cancer was diagnosed when she was 49. I'm 39. Last week, I had the procedure a laparoscopic bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy. There was a small benign tumour on one ovary, but no signs of cancer in any of the tissues. I have a clear little patch that contains bioidentical estrogen. A progesterone IUD was inserted in my uterus. It will help me maintain a hormonal balance, but more important, it will help prevent uterine cancer. I chose to keep my uterus because cancer in that location is not part of my family history. It is not possible to remove all risk and the fact is I remain prone to cancer. I will look for natural ways to strengthen my immune system. I feel feminine and grounded in the choices I am making for myself and my family. I know my children will never have to say, mum died of ovarian cancer.
regardless of the hormone replacements I'm taking, I am now in menopause. I will not be able to have any more children and I expect some physical changes. But I feel at ease with whatever will come, not because I am strong but because this is a part of life. It is nothing to be feared. I feel deeply for women for whom this moment comes very early in life because they have had their children. Their situation is far harder than mine. I inquired and found out that there are options for women to remove their fallopian tubes but keep their ovaries and so retain the ability to bear children and not go into the menopause. I hope they can be aware of that. It is not easy to make these decisions, but it is possible to take control and tackle head-on any health issue. You can seek advice, learn about the options and make choices that are right for you. Knowledge is power. Is there anything more you wanted to talk about in regards to Angelina? Yeah, well, so I think there was a bit of discussion within the medical community about whether it's necessary for everyone to get tested because she really did, you know, there was a big spike in um, women going to get tested after Angelina came out and spoke about this. And, I mean, I'm not a medical expert, so I can't say, but what I can tell you is that, you know, millions of people around the world had never heard of the BRCA1 gene mutation until Angelina mentioned it. So huge in terms of impact and awareness. Yeah, and I have to say I've shared her articles with a few of my patients as well. Uh, so uh, I, that's why I find her so inspiring because she doesn't, she didn't have to open up about all of this. She could have kept no. it very private, but she didn't. She wrote, you know, in, in a very prominent um, uh, magazine, journal, whatever you want to call the New York Times. What, 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 what would you call New York Times? Is it a journal? Is it a magazine? What is it? New York Times. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't it's know. A, it's, <laughs> it's well read. Everyone reads it. Lots of people read it. Let's yeah. just put it that way. And uh, yeah. as a consequence, I think she's helped a lot of people. So um, good on you, Angelina, I would say. Yeah, we love Angelina. Everything she does is pretty amazing. Selma Blair. Yeah. Now, um, multiple sclerosis. I I watched a, a uh, an interview she did with Robin Roberts, the anchor for the ABC, and it was published in 2019, where she talked to uh, Robin actually during a flare-up when she had this thing called spasmodic dysphonia. Yeah. And, oh, I started crying because it was it was actually a very emotional thing to say. I don't know if you've watched that video or I that have, YouTube. Yeah. I have powerful stuff, so powerful. Mm. And, and basically I guess for people who are listening who might not understand what that is, you might be able to give a better explanation. But, it, it, you know, her speech was very sort of, um, I guess, disjointed. It was very difficult to get a whole sentence out. Spasmodic dysphonia is a neurological vocal condition that can occur due to multiple sclerosis, otherwise known as MS. MS is an autoimmune disease of the central nervous system, affecting the brain, spinal cord and the eyes. Multiple sclerosis mainly affects women of childbearing age. Women are more likely than men to be impacted by autoimmune conditions overall. This may reflect the potential impact of sex hormones of the nervous, endocrine and immune systems. It was difficult to sort of string the words together and uh, yeah, it was it was an obvious flare-up, wasn't it? It was really obvious and mm. you could really see that she was struggling to talk. Uh, yet she looked amazing. You know, she had her hair and makeup done and she was walking around with Robin Roberts that looked, looked like was um, her home and she was walking with a cane and high heel yeah. shoes, you know, and I yeah. thought, wow. And she obviously had a gait issue in that she had difficulties walking because obviously she's using the cane. But uh, it was a very inspiring video and, and in that she also talked about the fact that for many years she was seeing doctors, she wasn't taken seriously, she had these funny neurological symptoms and they were just saying to her, oh, you know, you're a single mother, you're exhausted, you're perimenopausal, you're hormonal, and then she turned to alcohol to cope with her condition and uh, she struggled and, and called it the snowflake disease because MS is, is different for everyone. Uh, can you talk more on that? Yeah, so it was about, so she's 47 years old now, by the way, and it was about, you know, over a year ago that she first came out and, and told the world that she was living with multiple sclerosis and that was also sort of like the Angelina Jolie story, a big, big story. And at the time that, you know, she said that for years she was suffering from 
these strange sort of symptoms. She thought she had a pinched nerve at one stage. She would occasionally just randomly fall over or drop things and she had a really, you know, foggy memory. And, you know, she did go and see lots of different doctors, like you said, and she, they didn't know what was going on. And side fact, actress Elizabeth Berkeley, who was in Saved by the Bell, I don't know if you remember her, uh, she's a good friend of Selma Blair's, and she told Selma, go and see my brother, Dr. Jason Berkeley. And he was the one who noticed the lesions on her MRI. And so after Selma had seen, basically seen doctor after doctor after doctor uh, who dismissed it, no one had been able to tell her what was really going on until she saw this Dr. Berkeley guy. And so now, you know, I guess the important thing about Selma being so open about it is that she's regularly posting images of what's going, what's, what she's going through, what her body is going through and what her mind is going through. So like you said, you know, we see her at the Oscars red carpet and she's got this glamorous looking walking stick and she's always talking about how difficult she finds it to walk, how she needs help getting into clothes and getting out of clothes. Mm. And she's opened up about the mental challenge of living with MS, the impact it has on her mind and how, you know, some days are just such a struggle, but she's got uh, a child, I think it's a little boy, and she says, you know, he keeps me going every day. Um, and, you know, much like Angelina, so she did get the world talking about MS for a while there, you know, People Magazine and the New York Times and all these big publications were interviewing her and getting her to talk about her experience in the hope that the symptoms she had might make someone reading out there go, oh, well, that's what's been happening to me. So, again, you know, huge impact in terms of awareness and getting people to talk about MS and also making people feel like they're not alone if if they have it as well. I think that's really important. Like if you look at the comments section in Selma Blair's um, on, on her social media pages, there's always someone saying, oh, you know, thank you for being so open about it. I've got it too. And, you know, it's so comforting to know that um, somebody else is going through what I'm going through. So I think that's, a you know, a nice little uh, side effect, I guess, of celebrities being open about their medical conditions. And I also heard that she's developing a line of clothing specifically designed for people with a disability because you mentioned earlier that she has difficulties getting in and out of clothing. Do you know more about that? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. So the whole, I guess, uh, reason she went public in the first place is because she wanted to thank her, is, is, I think it was her assistant or her style. Of, it was somebody who, who is there for her on set and helps her get dressed every day. And so she was just feeling so grateful to this person, and I can find that person's name, but she was just so grateful that she was like, you know what, I need to post about this. I need to let my fans know what's going on and what I'm going through. So it's really interesting how that sort of idea of her trying to get into clothes and get out of clothes, it was such a big moment for her. And that is what, you know, ended up inspiring this um, this clothing line. So I don't think it's out yet, but it will be coming out soon. Mm. And just for our listeners, uh, multiple sclerosis is, is two to three times more common in women than it is in men. Um, yeah, so I think that's an important point to make. She also uh, reached out to Michael J. Fox. And uh, at the time, it, and I know this because I, I looked at that video, the interview, and, and she says that she wanted to reach out to him specifically because she knew that he had Parkinson's disease and she was having some um, tremors that she thought were a bit Parkinsonian and she wanted to reach out to him, she actually said, because he is a celebrity and that he continues to work as, as an actor and she was inspired to reach out to him. So yeah. this brings me to... Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. Don't we love Michael J. Fox? He's just one of those guys. Everyone grew up watching him, didn't we? Yeah, you loved I, him on Family I loved, Ties. Love Family Ties. Yeah. Back to the Future. You know, I watch that with my kids now, and they <laughs> love Michael J. Fox too. But so yes, so we all know he's been suffering from Parkinson's disease, and his story is really interesting because he was living with Parkinson's, but didn't go public uh, uh, with it until something like a decade later. And two things happened when he did go public. One is that he blew up this idea that Parkinson's is an old people's disease because mm. he was 29 when he was diagnosed. Um, and I know, you know, we had, Muhammad Ali was very, um, we all knew he had Parkinson's as well. And he was young too. He was in his 40s. But to hear that, you know, 29-year-old, mm. someone in their 20s. And he's a boxer as well, you know, and I think the boxers yeah. are more likely to get it. Whereas this, you know, little Michael J. J. Fox guy, uh, yeah. you know, is an actor. What's he doing with Parkinson's? 
Yeah, so that was a big, big deal. And then, you know, at 39, when he did come out and say that he had it, he started his Michael J. Fox Foundation, and it's now the biggest foundation in the world funding Parkinson's research programs. Mm-hmm. So they funded over $900 million in research programs since they started, I think, in the early 2000s, and they've helped create more than 20 early-stage uh, therapeutic programs. They've built this world-class data set and biosample library documenting everything that is known around the world about Parkinson's research and that's used by researchers every day around the world. So amazing progress Mm. that, you know, that's there all thanks to Michael J. Fox. And at the time he started the foundation, he did stop working on his show Spin City, but then a few years later he returned and, and he did the Michael J. Fox show, which I don't know if you ever watched it, but it was about a news anchor and his family uh, and and how he returns to work following a diagnosis of Parkinson's mm. disease. So that was pretty special. And then he's guest starred in lots of things since then too, Scrubs, The Good Wife, Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's also written three books in this time. So he's been a really great example and, and I can see why an inspiration for, you know, Selma Blair and other people because he has continued to do so many things Um, And some of it has been in the entertainment industry. A lot of it, though, has been quietly behind the scenes uh, for Parkinson's research. So what did he do with Scrubs? Was he involved in the development of Scrubs? Oh, no. He he had some guest roles in there. You have to go back and watch. He he appeared in a couple of episodes. Okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I love Scrubs. I didn't watch too many episodes, though, but that was one I did enjoy. Um, Yeah. Good medical show. Yeah. It was funny. It was funny. I loved it. What's your favourite medical show? Oh, ER. Uh, Easily, yeah, with right, George yeah. Clooney in the nineties. That's what got me through med school. That's where I learned all my medicine. The whole <laughs> is that why you wanted to do med? <laughs> um, no, no, I wouldn't say, but it helped me get through med. Him and Carter, you know, George Clooney and Carter. I can't remember the actor who played Carter. Yeah, I can picture him, but I, I really exactly. he was a, yeah. he was the nerdy one, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, was he was nerd. the nerd. Yeah. He was the nerd, and then I had a kind of a bit of a crush on a a doctor at St. Vincent's who reminded me of Carter. <laughs> so I get I get there the celebrity go. crush, yeah. But uh, I, I also watched a video with uh, it's called the Faces of Parkinson's. It's a YouTube video, I think launched in 2015, where Michael J. Fox meets a few people who have Parkinson's. And it was a great video to watch because uh, you can see that so many of these people from different aspects of life who were affected by the same disease found comfort in being interviewed by him and by him being interested in, in the same condition that he has. So again, you know, another you know, shout out to these celebrities who are happy to share their story and to to kind of champion, especially research, you know, in, into these medical conditions. So go Michael J. Yeah, go Michael J. And did you know he's actually not really a Michael J? He's like a, oh, a Michael P or a Michael A or something. <laughs> did you know that? I, I no, read that where did the J researching. come from then? Um, well, apparently there was somebody else in the industry who had his actual initial. Oh, Okay. And so he was like, all right, well, I'll just be Michael J. And so he what he did. Uh, voila. He became Michael J. Fox. <laughs> there you go. And I'm full of these random love fun it. facts. Love it. <laughs> now, moving on to Kim Kardashian and her psoriasis. Yes. So she is arguably the biggest celebrity in the world right now and looks so unbelievably immaculate and perfect in every photo we see of her, right? Uh, but she's been quite open about living with psoriasis, which um, – Maybe you should describe what it is, but as far as I'm aware, it's an autoimmune disease and it can, I guess, show up in in different ways on different people. Um, And she's also got something called psoriatic arthritis. Mm. And for Kim, that's manifested itself in like red scaly patches on her face and on her legs. And at times she's lost mobility in her hands and, um, you know, she's found it really hard to just pick up things. So she's been really open about it, which is interesting from a celebrity perspective because even though we're talking about how celebrities are open about their medical conditions, when it comes to a condition that impacts their appearance, it's not something they're very open about. It's usually a tightly kept secret the way that, you know, they won't openly admit to having plastic surgery or Botox Mm. or whatever. But Kim does talk about it and she talks about how she lathers herself in makeup on some, you know, some days because she needs to cover it up. And in fact, it's, it's inspired her line of Kardashian body and face makeup um, in mm, many right. ways. So it's helped contribute to her, you know, multi-million dollar empire. 
maybe multi-billion dollar, I don't know, yeah. which is, <laughs> you know, it, it's definitely been um, a huge part of her life and she's not embarrassed about it. And uh, in a statement, you know, she once said, I've become extremely comfortable with my psoriasis. No matter where it is on my body, sometimes I am fine showing it off. I did not know that until today. Until I actually, again, for preparation of this podcast, Googled, you know, Kardashians and Kim came up and I watched one of my, actually the very first episode I've ever watched of Keeping Up With The Kardashians. And (laughs) in in the video, in the the, the episode she meets with the doctor I don't know if you ever watched this episode no. uh, where you know it's like oh, I've got these scaly patches on my skin what is it and the doctor in the white coat says oh it's it's psoriasis and she's like what and he says oh you know stress food water travel uh, all affect this condition it's not curable and um, he says you've got to lead an easier slower pace of life and then she turns around and says it's just not possible and uh, the thing that really made me laugh was when she had this encounter then afterwards with her mum and she says, mum, you know, thanks to you I've got this condition because, of course, this is a genetic <laughs> condition. Right. Yeah, and then she talks about, you know, the pressure to look perfect and how it started in her legs but then and then she was scared in this episode of it going to her face. So it, it actually has gone to her face, has it? Is that what it the – It has, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Psoriasis is not only found on the face and legs but also on the vulva. What is the vulva, you ask? The vulva is part of your skin and includes the opening of your vagina, also called the vestibule, the labia majora, that is the outer lips, the labia minora, the inner lips, and your clitoris. The vulval skin extends all the way to your hymen. Listen to my podcast episode with dermatologist Dr. Eleni Yasimides for more information about vulval psoriasis. And, and yeah, look, it's actually really interesting to see the photos that she posts on because we do, like I was saying before, you know, we do see these like mm. just perfectly photoshopped images of her everywhere. But then once in a while she does show us what, you know, what is going on underneath the makeup. And I think that's a really healthy thing to do because, you know, we need to see the real mm. Kim Kardashian too, don't we? Not just mm. the sort of done up one. Well, maybe that's why she's so popular. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and uh, that's quite interesting. In the episode as well, they had the you know the medical medium. Um, oh, the celery juice. Guy. Yeah, the celery juice guy. He he basically uh, does a body scan of Kim, and uh, he basically says you're got high in copper, and because you're f- high in copper, then you need to have celery juice. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting because I actually have his book but I've never read it and it was just one of those random buys because I was like, oh, I'll buy this because I know it's hot topic at the moment. That was about, what, a year ago when it was, was launched. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that was an interesting I've, aspect. Oh, yeah. I was celery juicing for a while. I was Were like, you? I'm going to try it. Yeah, because everyone was talking about it and I was like, okay, I'm going to try this and see what it's like. So every morning we would, you know, juice some celeries my husband and I and we would each have a cup and I even got my sisters into it one of my sisters into it anyway uh and then after like a couple of weeks we were like meh this really isn't doing anything did you buy the special celery juicer that that costs Uh, like I don't know how much money no no we just used a normal juicer um and you know I ended up looking into, I mean, what are your thoughts on this medical medium guy? Have you looked into him? You probably know more about him than I do. I, I, I have a couple of his books and there was one I started reading and I actually really enjoyed, I like, I'm quite spiritual and kind of, I believe in intuition and all of that. And I enjoyed that from that perspective. I can't comment about the celery juicing because I have not looked yeah. into it and until I do, I can't really comment. Comment um, on it. Yeah, I, right. You know. I'm interested to know like the science behind it because, mm. you know, I've, I've read a few things here and there and this whole time I thought he was a doctor but he's not. He's the medical medium, the guy mm. in between, the doctor and the, you know, nutritionist mm. sort of thing. So, yeah, interesting. Now, lastly, we are going to talk about Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, who is Kim Kardashian's or was Kim Kardashian's uh, stepfather for over 23 years. Mm. He's also retired Olympic gold medal winning decathlete, formerly known as Bruce Jenner, but people know Caitlyn better as Kylie and Kendall Jenner's dad, uh, who famously came out as a trans woman in 2015. And what she said at the time is that she had dealt with gender dysphoria since she was really young and, quote, for all intents and purposes, I'm a woman. 
So mm. she came out and she said that. And wow, did the world just explode. You know, everyone was like, what? Um, but she was married to Chris Kardashian for 23 years. And, you know, Caitlin, after she came out, said that she has never been attracted to men, always women. And so that in itself generated a lot of conversation, not only around who trans women are, because a lot of people were either unfamiliar, you know, with the trans community before or just had, had, you know, just really didn't know much about it, but also the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity. So Caitlin is a trans woman who is attracted to women and goes by the pronoun she. And that was just like dropping a bombshell on the world because it was something that wasn't discussed on such a big scale before. Mm. And because of, you know, the Keeping Up With The Kardashians show and their millions and millions of social media followers followers that each member of the family has, it was just such a huge platform to come out and and talk about this. Um, So, yeah, it's been really interesting to see how it's, you know, how that's all unfolded. Sadly, I think I've noticed a lot of people, you know, really – I guess saying negative comments about her and there's a lot of misunderstanding about the trans community still or lack of understanding perhaps is the better word. Um, And so I imagine it's been really hard for her. Yeah, I think, uh, but, you know, she has been what they call the trans champion and sometimes that's all it takes is just one person to open up the whole conversation and, and as you mentioned earlier, there is a big difference between sexual orientation and gender identity. And a lot of it confuses a lot of people, but that's where I think people need to do their research and to read and to get familiar yeah. with these terms as as well. You know, I was trying to think of who else has come out as trans in the celebrity community. And the only one I can think of is um the late Alexis Arquette, who was born the brother of actors oh, uh, yes. and actress yes. Patricia Arquette and David yeah. Arquette. Yep. But I couldn't really think of anyone else. So really, I mean, you're right, Caitlin is definitely a massive champion for the trans community. And just so brave in stepping out and talking about this in yeah. front of so many people, knowing that there, go- there are going to be closed-minded people yeah. who will want to tear you down and tear your family down. I mean, the other day I saw um, Kylie Jenner had posted a message on Instagram saying Happy Father's Day because it was Father's Day in the US, and she posted a photo of Caitlyn Jenner when he was when she was Bruce Jenner, mm. uh, and the comments were just awful you know people were like well why are you saying happy father's day Mm. he's a she now and it was just really awful but the reality is that you know that was her father for so many years growing up Mm. and and yeah it's just you know it's it's i imagine you know it is a really difficult thing to go through and you're right we need to be open you know we need to be i guess not so judgmental of other people and how they live their lives yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with being curious, you know. Curiosity is a good thing. It's 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 more when people are arrogant and ignorant about um, conditions. That That's what gets me. I mean, Absolutely. you know, uh, Bruce was assigned a male and then he transformed into a woman. And I think the thing that might get a lot of people is that as Bruce, he was very masculine, you know. He was an athlete. And yeah. then as a woman, as Caitlin, he's quite feminine. Like you look at, if you saw Caitlin walking down the street, you wouldn't think it was once Bruce. So I think yeah. the transformation has been just so impressive. So incredible. Yeah. That's right. And the, yeah. thing, the other thing that I think that he or she, sorry, Caitlin has done is that uh, he brought up an important point about the issues that trans people face when they use public toilets. Because yes. I, I think there was a, it was Trump, the Trump Towers, when Trump had said to Caitlin, yeah. you can use any toilet you want in my Trump Tower. And that was a big thing because I think at the time there were certain rules about what toilets trans people could use in the States. And uh, and that's a real worry for a lot of trans people walking into yeah. one toilet when they really want to walk into another toilet. And they all they did do, do, want to do is number one, number two, maybe the two together, but they're scared they're going to be beaten. And imagine yeah. that, you know, imagine that. And this is the kind of yeah. basic stuff that we're talking about. And uh, most, you know, most trans women don't go into a woman's toilet wanting to perv at other women from what we know. It, it, it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Yes, so there are a couple of celebrities that we've decided to talk about. 
I wanted to ask you some questions, Nahal. Yes, go ahead. Uh, so obviously I... Oprah is one of your biggest inspirations, I would think. <laughs> yes. Uh, any yeah. other inspirations you have in your life? Oh, look, I have to, I always go back to my family, my parents, and especially my sisters who are both older than me. And growing up, you know, I watched and learned everything from them. And, you know, <laughs> they say it takes a village to raise a child, right? I was yeah. lucky enough to have that village. I had yeah. definitely had a village. I often tell people, you know, I had three mums growing up. So I had my mum and I had my two sisters. Um, but these days I say I have four mums growing up because I add Oprah to that list as well. You know, she, she raised me in a way. That's great. So, you, yeah, you've had a, a family and, and Oprah, which is, um, yeah. yeah. How about books, favourite books? Do you read books? Because I know your yes. one of your older sisters isn't big on reading books, but are you a fan of books? <laughs> I am. So I just finished reading Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reid and I highly recommend it, especially with all the, you know, anti or all, all, all the anti or what's the word, the racist, you mm, know, mm-hmm. uh, dialogue that's happening, uh, racism and, and anti-racism and how to be a better ally and, and all those things. So it's about a young African-American woman who is the nanny for a wealthy white little girl and the book starts with them going to a supermarket in the little girl's rich neighbourhood and uh, the security guard at the supermarket automatically assumes that the little girl has been kidnapped because she's with a black woman. Mm. And so I'm not going to tell you anything else, but it's a very important discussion about racism and it's an easy read. It's really easy. And I think it's on um, Reese Witherspoon's book club list, so I'm hoping she's going to turn it into a movie. That would be great. So Reese Witherspoon has a book club. So it's not she just does. Oprah. Reese has no. one too. Oh, yes. You've got to look into it. I think it's called Hello Sunshine. Oh, cool. And is yeah. that a monthly book club they they bring Something up? Something like that. I think she just yeah she mm. you know posts about books that she likes and and yeah discusses them and and quite often because she's got her own production company. I love Reese. She's a real mm. sort of champion for women. Uh, she makes movies that are written or books that are written by women. Uh, she turns them into movies. So. Um, she's really big on giving, you know, women a platform and uplifting female voices. So she only makes movies out of books written by women? Pretty much, or scripts written by women mm. or or stories that centre women that have, like, women. as. Mm. So, you know, she was the one who sort of picked up the, um, I think, I hope I'm not making this up, but Big Little Lies. Yes. And that was, you know, the story about yeah. the, the four women or five women, um, the Monterey Five. Uh, and yeah, written so she, by you know, a Aussie. That sort of stuff. They're written by an Aussie. That's yeah, right. Sydney side, is that right? Mm. I think so. But you know what? Growing up, just speaking of books that I loved, mm. I was always a huge fan of Looking for Alibrandi by mm. Melina Marchetta. And I know you, I think you liked that too, didn't I you? I did. That was one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. I still love it. I've I read that the cover. so many times. Mm. I think yeah. your sister even liked that one, which is. Strength. I hope so. It's probably the only <laughs> book she's ever read. <laughs> she usually gets the books that she reads off me. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Nastran. I, <laughs> I have tried to get her, you know, to get her into a few books lately. I don't know if she's read any of them, but she's she's busy too. So. <laughs> and uh, songs that make you happy, Nahal. Oh, anything 90s, 2000s, you know, R&B or boy band because it just reminds me of my youth. So, mm. you know, Boys to Men, TLC, mm. I love TLC, yeah. um, Justin Timberlake, Beyonce, J-Lo, all that sort of stuff. I could listen to any of it. all makes me happy. Your dream collaboration. Okay, so obviously Oprah. I would love <laughs> to interview her and I'd love to make a documentary about her daughters in South Africa. The lead- she's got this leadership academy for girls that she built and, you know, the stories of the women they grow up to be. I'd be really interested to know what they're doing now. I know so many of them have like graduated and they're doing amazing things in the world. So I'd love to follow that up with Oprah. That would be amazing. Um, but also I'm a huge fan of Justin Baldoni's work. So I don't know if you know who he is. He's the actor on Jane the Virgin. Have you watched that? No, I don't watch TV. No, I'm pretty pathetic. Yeah, I, watch it. Oh, I did in the nineties. <laughs> I did in the nineties and occasionally <laughs> I'll, over the, over my parents' house, I'll watch, you know, Gardening Australia. Yeah, okay. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with that person. Please let us know more. Okay, so here's this fabulous actor on a, a Netflix series called Jane the Virgin. He's also the director of a movie called Five Feet Apart, which is a film about two teenagers with cystic fibrosis who fall in love. Mm. It's a great film and I highly recommend it. I reckon you'd love it. Um, he's also a celebrity kind supporter. He's one of our followers. And so I would love to make a movie with him one day. He's all about the emotional, meaningful stories, you know, the bigger picture in life and always he's really positive. Like he's always 
the messages in everything he does is always, you know, put love first. And so I'd love to work with him on an idea I have up my sleeve. So if you're listening, Justin, I'd like to do that with you. <laughs> have you got have you got a poster of him and Oprah on your wall somewhere secret in your wardrobe? You know what? I am currently working on a vision board mm. and uh, he's not on it yet, but, yes, I should put his picture on it. Oprah's on it. Stat, I've got stat. Oprah on it. I've got Angelina on it. Oh, <laughs> do you? Oh, great. Yeah, I do. I do. I'd love to, love to catch up with her sometime too. <laughs> um, but, yeah, a lot of, like, a lot of people uh, are making it onto my vision board lately. So, yeah. And you do obviously a lot of research before you bring on your your guest. As a journalist, I could imagine you have that down pat, but could you share with our listeners, you know, if they're interested one day in becoming a, a podcaster, what are your top tips for researching your podga- podcast guest before you interview them? Yeah, sure. So I have a really simple formula and I do it every time and it's, it's I guess, just one big tip I can give you and that is research the hell out of whoever it is that you're interviewing. So research them so well that you know exactly where the interview is going to go and there are going to be no surprises and, um, you know, my process for a 30-minute podcast interview is, I guess, reading every possible thing that I can find about my guest online, in books, in magazines, whatever it is. You know, I'm talking like 15 hours of reading sometimes. Mm. Um, And it can be really easy to find. Sometimes it's right there on the internet. Sometimes you've got to dig a little deeper, maybe contact their PR people to clarify information or, um, you know, because with my work, I focus a lot on their humanitarian and cause work. So I also make sure I'm connected with all their foundations and medical organizations they support and things like that. I remember listening to you saying the news. What, uh, What program was that? Uh, so it would have been on a few different programs, but basically Sydney radio station. So it would have been WSFM, um, yeah. Mix 106.5 at, at the time. That's what it was called. It's called Kiss 106.5 now and The Edge 96.1. Yeah, and you used to say the news so well. It was just so – it was such a pleasure listening to you, Nahal. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> As it is a pleasure having you, ha- you know, been on the show. I appreciate your time. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me and, and thank you for, you know, being so <laughs> so nice. You were my f- the first person to interview me, I think, so. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the tables have turned. I can see why people get nervous when they're being interviewed. <laughs> I can see it now. I understand where, you know, why people sort of get all, like, worked up and nervous. I've been on the other side now. I understand it. Thanks, Nahal. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Nahal Gleish. Share this episode with someone if you think it will help them. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanics channel and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic, and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people I can interview, or books to read. Until next time, stay fanny-tabulous. <laughs>